My name is Amara Hark Weber. I'm a shoemaker in St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome to Cut the Craft. So, Amy, one thing that uh, I haven't told you, I guess, is that I've been emailing Amara like constantly with uh, moving questions. <laughs> are you serious? Oh, you are. Is too much a word. It's not constant. <laughs> so you guys like already know each other. Oh yeah. <laughs> also, something that's worth noting and exciting to say is that uh, this is our fortieth episode, our fortieth oh interview. Yeah. Congratulations, you guys. That's major. Yeah. And it's our last one of twenty twenty one. Oh. This yeah. will be our December one. Yeah. Yay. So this is a huge episode for us. No pressure. Well, I couldn't be more honored or excited to oh. be invited, truly. Oh. Yeah, we're super excited uh, to have you. I've been like giddy all morning. I was so excited. <laughs> well, are we ready to ready to just get into it? Let's get it's into it. It's all on the record now? It's all oh, on yeah. the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, welcome to Cut the Craft, everyone. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with Amara Hark Weber, a shoemaker working out of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Amara, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> First, I have to ask, are you wearing really cool shoes right now? Uh, <laughs> no well, pressure. I'm definitely wearing my own shoes. I don't know how cool yes. they are. <laughs> they look a little beat up, honestly. <laughs> well loved. Well loved. <laughs> They're well loved. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That was going to be one of my questions because we, uh, in a a couple episodes back, we were talking with a, a woodworker and he was saying like, oh, I don't want to be the shoemaker who has no shoes because he was talking about, you know, really trying to make a, a decent living doing sure, it. Sure, sure. And so I was so excited that we have a shoemaker who's on the show because now <laughs> yeah. we can ask that <laughs> the age old question. <laughs> I have a lot of shoes. I really do. <laughs> but my daughter doesn't spell. have that many. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. So Her feet like grow so fast. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Let's get real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't I used to joke that like if I had kids, I would like have their clothes when they're really small just being like a big sack. <laughs> like <laughs> like a potato sack or something. Sure, <laughs> maybe that makes me a terrible mother. Maybe you can delete that, Brian. I don't <laughs> Well, I mean, if it was insulated with something, that yeah. could be pretty nice. You know, fun, baby you know. clothes are actually like a big sack. Yeah. yeah. There actually is big sacks, but they're soft. Right. Maybe, right. Not a not maybe like more like a flower sack. No, just nice. Like a big. Yeah, it's yeah. soft. Oh, like a nightgown. That's what they used yeah, to give them. Yeah, it's it, it's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel I feel better now. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think no, you no. need to feel good. Yeah, okay. Save your guilt for something better than that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right all right let's get back on track here um so for someone who's unfamiliar with what you make um can you tell us what that is and then maybe how you fit into uh shoemaking in general sure um i make custom shoes for individual clients um so i make uh i meet with clients one at a time in my workshop measure their feet um, do the whole process of building the last and the shoes and then give them their shoes. Huh. Um, and as for how I fit into shoemaking generally, uh, I don't know totally how to answer that question because there's not tons of shoemakers 
Mm-hmm. And they're all a little bit misfits. Hmm. And so I don't know, like shoemaking is really tied to region and weather and like, hmm. you know, the aesthetics and the abilities of the shoemaker. Uh-huh. And so it's very, very different um, in, you know, no matter who you're looking at. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know totally how I fit in. I mean, I'm a shoemaker, so I must fit in somewhere, <laughs> but I can't say that there's like, you know, I have my little niche or anything like that. Hmm. Well, interesting. so I feel like almost anytime you talk to a craftsperson, uh, who, especially someone in like the traditional crafts, uh, most people outside of that craft or maybe outside of the craft world are always like, oh, that's, that's like a lost art. Uh-huh. And most craftspeople then roll their eyes at that. And they're like, no, like there's millions of us or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but it does seem like at least from my perspective, at least that shoemaking is definitely one. I think you're the first person I've met that actually does it full time. Sure. Well, I'll mm. tell you, Brian, you're not the first person who's told me that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's not that many shoemakers, mm-hmm. but we're around. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot in the United States. There's a lot more boot makers, like cowboy boot makers. Mm-hmm. That's like alive yeah. and kick in. Like that's there's, true. That's there's, true. Uh, there's for sure boot makers. Um, but there's, there's fewer shoemakers, but we're, 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 we're scattered. Yeah. 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 That's how I, I've always heard it described with book people. The best way I've heard it was, uh, like it's a quietly thriving community because it's yeah. just like a bunch of introverts <laughs> in their living rooms or backyards or in like sure. the shed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's funny. Um, I've thought about this a fair amount recently um, about like whether shoemaking is a thriving community mm-hmm. or like even if it is a community because there's really so few people um, who do it uh, professionally. And there's, a, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's hobbyists and that's great. Um, sure. But, you know, running it like this is a, it's a tough business to run like any small business. And um I don't know if it is thriving, honestly, it's, but I don't know that it's not thriving, <laughs> right. you know, I, I, I don't, I don't totally know how to answer the question. And yeah. I, I think that it's changing a lot because there's mm-hmm. a, a kind of resurgent interest in shoemaking mm-hmm. and little schools popping up and, you know, hobbyists are like a force. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, whether that makes a, a like, I, I guess maybe I don't know totally what the what the community is maybe. Right. Right. Like it's still pretty scattered, at least from your experience. It's pretty scattered. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Dang. So it's interesting. You you said you made a distinction between bootmakers and shoemakers. I didn't, I wasn't aware that that was a, a distinction that was made normally. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that like a big, (laughs) a big divide? (laughs) You're like, Oh, (laughs) well, you know, uh, I'll tell you, well, yes. To answer the question <laughs> simply, um, like uh, cowboy boot making is a really different thing than shoemaking. I mean, they both go on the feet, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but cowboy boot making is a lot. Um, the patterning is really different. And mm-hmm. so the patterning for cowboy boots is um, more similar time after time after time. Like the real uh, measurement comes into making the taking the measurements and making the lasts not in the pattern making um, and shoemaking. Every pattern is going to be pretty different. It's hard to have like a set of patterns that work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about the lasts, you're yeah. talking about those, like basically the solid mold that your 
fitting the leather around as you're making the shoe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It's like the, the positive space that creates the negative space inside the shoe. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. That sounds more confusing than I think (laughs) actually, but it's It's like those things that are, (laughs) it's kind of like the mold that you put the, the leather on basically. Yeah. Yeah. There are those things that are called like cobbler form sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like an abstraction of the foot. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, the shape of the shoe. So like if your last, like I, I'll build a last for an individual's foot that's reflective of their measurements, but it's an abstraction of the actual shape of their foot because right. to make a shoe that was shaped like a foot wouldn't be that cute. <laughs> as as is evidenced by Vibram five fingers or whatever those shoes are called. I mean, you know, people who love them love them. So <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. Well, okay, so then how did you get into how did you get into this? If it's so like I don't know, like like a what what's the word I want, Brian? Like like it seems like it would be real hard to get to find yeah, a way get, to even start. find to yeah. like know that it was a thing to do. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. <laughs> um well, that's the million dollar question. There's I have I have three answers. One of them is like, do you want to hear all three? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the first one is that shoemaking found me. I didn't find shoemaking. Mm, Very easy. The second one that is a little bit more precise is that I started making shoes when I was getting my MFA and I continued. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) then the third one is kind of involved. (laughs) And um, it's like involves a story. Let's Which hear I it. can tell you. I, yes, <laughs> yes. The story is what so, we want always. Yeah. I love yeah, the, yeah. the tension you're building. Is well, awesome. I'm t- <laughs> yeah, that's, well, you know, it's something that I used to be a little bit self-conscious about because it is rather a dramatic story. I mean, mm-hmm. not to even build the tension even further, but it's something <laughs> that like, I don't know. It was, it seems like, well, anyways. Okay. So the deal was I was getting my MFA at the Art Institute in Chicago and I was in their graphic design program. And it's a three-year program, and I was getting ready for my thesis, like, right before the first year of the program. Or, I'm sorry, right before the third year of the program. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a really bad car accident, and I had injuries in my chest and in my neck. Mm -hmm. And then, most severely, I had, like, a pretty serious traumatic brain injury. Oh, wow. And so, um, I had been a, a photographer and a writer and doing design work around that previously, but I found like I couldn't sit at the computer and uh, the use of one of my eyes is a bit off. So I wasn't able to take photographs. Mm. So I was like, oh, this is a problem. Yeah. And um, I went back to school and I was like, I can do this. And then I realized that uh, I had also lost a huge portion of my long-term memory. And also my short-term memory was really, really bad. And I couldn't read. And oddly, I didn't realize that before I went back to school, because if you lose your memory, it's not like you like you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, honestly, I had no idea until like two months later, uh, my auntie sent me a photograph of myself and my cousin in New York at that Cristo flags display in Central Park. And I saw it and I was like, what is this? Like, oh, my God, what is this? That is obviously me, but I don't like what? And then that's when I started realizing like my memory was pretty, 
pretty uh, shattered. And so um, realizing that was like actually a huge relief. Um, And I had to withdraw from most of my classes, but I determinedly stayed in a shoemaking class, even though it wasn't in my department. And I don't know why I did that. Um, And I wasn't able to follow directions very well um, because my short-term memory was so bad. So like I had to sit next to somebody in class who I still don't even know who this person was. It was a female. Um, And I would just like copy what she was doing. And I'd be like, what are we doing now? And she'd be like, we're doing this. And so then I would like, you know, do what she was doing. And that's how I built my first pair of shoes. And um, I had done a lot of book work previously because my mom is a paper maker and I grew up kind of in the book arts world. And I worked in the letterpress at the school and blah, blah, blah. So um, building a shoe is not dissimilar to building a box. You know, you're covering things seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, uh, I had difficulty with verbal communication. And I was going through a lot of like physical rehab stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I decided, I don't even know if I decided, I somehow built my thesis project uh, in shoes and footwear that was sculptural and kind of performative that changed your relationship with the ground that mm-hmm. forced the body of the wearer into positions that I was kind of dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is how I got started making shoes. <laughs> wow. <Jeez. laughs> so like the reason why I was kind of, I've always been a little bit hesitant to tell that story is that like it's kind of dramatic and mm. it sounds like it was very difficult, but it sounds way more difficult and dramatic than I like to think of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always want my work to speak for itself more than like to be like a, you know, a rallying cry for like recovery or I, I don't even know what, um, because I don't know, like, I think that Americans especially are really tied to memory and um and like uh have a kind of like i don't know how to say it exactly but a belief that we are the sum of our experiences Uh and that we try to collect experiences and we document them and it's all about documentation and telling a story and all this stuff and if you lose your memory it's like the most horrifying thing that most people can imagine Hmm. um but it's really it's i think it's worse for the people around you you know, mm-hmm. than for you. Cause if it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. You were just like, I'll drop everything, but for some reason I'm just going to stick through <laughs> the shoe class. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, it was like, I've been in school a long time. Um, this was my second master's degree. And like that shoe class was my reward at the end of a very long <laughs> academic life. And I was like, I will do this. <laughs> and That's so, amazing. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like, that's why I can honestly say I didn't, it's not something that like, I I really feel like it chose me. And, um, and when I finished school, so I had like, was building like really pretty, um, basic construction, everything was glued together. Um, and I received a, a small fellowship for the thesis project. That was like the exact amount of money that I needed to go and learn from a cowboy boot maker. And so, um, and so, like my shoemaking education is continuing always. Um, but I can say I've had three main teachers. And so the first was uh, D.W. Frommer. Um, 
in in Redmond, Oregon. And he was like, just so kind. He and his wife, um, I spent about a month with them building a single pair of cowboy boots and they knew my situation and they knew my memory was really poor. And they kept telling me like, you need to get these movements into your body and you, your body will know how to do them. And so they Mm -hmm. just spent hours and hours with me sitting next to me being like, move your body this way, move it that way, do this, do that. Um, because, uh, they were so patient and, uh, they were really able to like meet me where I was at basically and show me what they knew in a way that was like worked for me. Hmm. So, um, so that's kind of, that was like my first like working with the, what uh, what was, what was his name again? His name is DW Frommer. DW Frommer. That is a hell of a cowboy boot maker's name. That's like, well, you know, he's a hell of a cowboy boot maker. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah, and his wife's name is Randy. She does a lot of the upper work. Yeah, she they were really, really, truly generous with me. Um, wow. Yeah, they were great. Happening this week from Monday, December 13th through Friday, December 17th, join North Bennett Street School in Boston, Massachusetts for their second annual virtual open house. There will be interactive building tours, live student demonstrations, evening events, and more. This event is free, and you can register at nbss.edu slash open house. North House Folk School teaches traditional handcraft on the shores of Lake Superior and online. Learn everything from shoemaking to spoon carving and wool spinning to timber framing. Now taking registration for courses through April 2022. Learn more at northhouse.org. Who was the second? All right. So you want to hear the the rest of the continuing education? Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) So so then I came back to St. Paul and I was like, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to see if I can be a a shoemaker, a bootmaker. I'll give it a year and uh, I'll see if I can do it. And uh, I was still kind of sick with my head injury and kind of, I mean, like pretty sick. Um, And I was like, you know, just going to do it. And um, after about a year of making boots or so, I realized that like if I was going to buy cowboy boots for the prices that I eventually wanted to charge, not what I was charging at the time, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't go to me, this like skinny girl in St. Paul. (laughs) <laughs> I would want to go down to Texas or up north. There's a really great cowboy boot maker here in Minnesota named Buster. Um, you know, I would go to one of those one of those folks. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I decided to go to Sweden for a month and learn from a, a gentleman named Janne Milkerson in northern mm-hmm. Sweden, who is like a shoemaker shoemaker. He's just uh, kind, generous, sweet, uh, very exacting shoemaker and uh from him i learned some of the hand building and hand sewing techniques for menswear mm-hmm. and uh he also too let me let me use his last which was really super helpful at the beginning because you know you can't make something beautiful on an ugly form and they're just right. you know it's hard to find good ones so um so i came back home and i i worked on the stuff that he had taught me for a while and then I realized that I wanted to level up again. And I had a lot of questions about construction and about um, processes and and materials that I just wasn't able to answer 
on my own. And so I went to a, a Hungarian gentleman who lived at the time in Savannah, Georgia, named Marcel Mershon. And I spent a month with him uh, learning different construction techniques and like really looking hard at what other contemporary shoemakers are making and um, some of the proportion and uh, construction techniques that they're using and talking about why they're using them and successfully or not. Um, and he was just really uh, super, again, uh, generous and, and helpful um, in, in pushing me to progress as a maker. Mm-hmm. And so those three guys uh, have been really, I mean, those are, those are my three teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've stayed in touch with all of them. And, uh, and I feel so, so, so lucky to both have learned from them and have continuing relationships with them because um, there's just so few shoemakers and there's really few like uh, paths to model yourself on. So you're really like figuring things out as you go. Um, and it's, it's, it's really important to have those those older voices to help help you answer questions as they arise. Mm-hmm. So, do do you teach as well? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do teach. Um, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> cool. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I do take a couple of students every year. I mean, I budget a couple, like I budget a certain amount of time every year for teaching. I should mm. say, oh. and um, that time is usually filled up either um, by going to a school to teach or by students coming in and learning from me and my workshop. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I also think it's really beautiful how every teacher sort of gave you uh, a technical boost in your abilities, but then also like some kind of like personal transformative kind of lesson as well. Oh yeah, for sure. And And very, very different. Oh my goodness. Like mm -hmm. truly um, they're like Marcel, Yane and DW are all very, very, very different in terms of their personalities. Um, but they were all very generous and each one of them, uh, I mean, I just learned a great deal from each one of them. I, yeah, Mm -hmm. truly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lessons I think about daily. Yeah. So how do you feel about like longevity and utility and craft work? How does that fit into, to what you're making? Uh, the longevity of the work or of the craftsman? Yeah. Well, both actually. That's a good. Or one thought. through the other. One through the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, well, I'll start by talking about the work because everyone always wants to know, like, how long will my shoes last? That's like a really <laughs> common question. And, um, you know, they'll usually last longer than you might want them to. Like, they last, <laughs> they, you know. Like we live in a world of fast fashion and like mm-hmm. these shoes um, are built to be repaired, like mm-hmm. full stop. You know, you mm-hmm. can take the whole thing apart and put a new everything on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, repair shops love them. Yeah, they're easy to repair. Mm-hmm. So longevity of the work itself, you know, is there. That said, as soon as the shoe is worn, it's like it's worn from the first time it bears weight. So it's really different than other uh, hand-built items that might have a longer life. Um, I mean, I spend a long time finishing the sole of a shoe and in two seconds, someone steps on it and like, (laughs) you know, that's broken. You know, the sole is like, it's actually, that's what it's like. The sole is broken. And so, um, you know, 
yeah, there's just like in terms of like the longevity of like who I am as a craftsman, like chances are I'm not going to be remembered for my work being in museums or stuff because shoes aren't aren't usually included in that kind of thing. And it's not like items of apparel that, you know, might last longer. They really bear the mark mm-hmm. of the wearer, um, the visceral mark of the wearer in kind of a very poetic way in, in many ways. Um and then in terms of like the longevity of like myself, you know, it's a physical <laughs> job. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like I I would like to work a long time. Uh, but you know, people's knuckles and shoulders give out. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, there is a reality this is this is pretty physical and uh and I have to think about that. Um actually I I don't have to. I do think about that very frequently. Like you know, is it worth trying to do one process or another, or is it worth, you know, not using a machine if I can, because, um, because of the glory of the hand movement right, or the right. longevity of myself as a maker. Um, so, you know, I usually choose to go with myself as longevity as a maker and mm-hmm. not for the glory of, you know, I, I totally use a sanding machine, uh, instead of a rasp for every single thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a skiving machine that I use, um, and that I love using, you know, I skived by hand for years, but, but I have a machine now that helps. Um, and like, I feel like that machine is giving me like 10 extra years of work. Wow. So, yeah. I know yeah. from pairing leather for book covers, I wish I had one of those. Yeah. I mean, the struggle <laughs> is real, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and skiving is when you're like, kind of like thinning out the leather yeah is that correct yeah. yeah exactly yeah so like everywhere where there's a seam on a shoe or like anywhere there's a seam um the leather is beveled so it's you know wherever there's an overlap of leather it has to be beveled mm-hmm. um and shoes are like deceptively thick and robust there are three layers in a shoe mm-hmm. on the upper and so there's just like a lot of material that's in there but if you do your job well which is a lot of skiving you will never know, you know, that the, 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 the people outside of the workshop will never know how much leather is in there hmm. um, because it's all skived quite well. Hopefully. And so then if it's, if it's that many pieces, do you mean like layers or do you mean that there's like three different pieces like joined together? Like oh, no, a, three different like layers. A, so then yeah, what's three the ad- layers? Is there, um, like, is there an advantage to having that many layers? Is it stronger to have something? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, you know, actually, it's something that people don't really think about. But like, most shoes are three layers. It's the outer. And then there's the lining. And then there's a layer between those two that's called the structural layer. And that gives, um, you know, stiffness in the heel that will help keep the shoe on the foot and stiffness in the toe that will help protect the toes and keep the shape. And then frequently side liners along the sides, um, at least in handmade footwear, that will you know help push the movement of the leather into certain areas. So um, yeah, it's a lot of layers that are, you know, if you do your job well, nobody will will know or even think about it. Yeah, huh. it's like all these like tectonic plates that are shifting yeah. around like within the shoe. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, the fear is that like th- that the structural leather will shift. But like, I always think, where is it going to go? I mean, <laughs> like, it's got nowhere to go. So <laughs> like a volcano just like erupts yeah. on the side. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, oh, my shank went over to Italy for a holiday. 
Uh, no, no arch support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people, um, like a lot of my students, I should say, they think that shoe making is going to be pretty fun and pretty cute and not that hard because <laughs> shoes are cute and they're fun to wear. And, you know, mm-hmm. people who are interested in making shoes are generally like shoe people to some degree mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the workshop and they're like, ugh. Like, this is not what I thought. Because <laughs> it's like, it's very precise. It's very small. You know, we're flat patterning and skiving a lot, which is, you know, it's all hard. It's hard mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, like, to, I'm reflecting a little bit on what you said before about how it was a reward for you after, like, being yeah. through all the, like, academic <laughs> yeah uh rigors uh so like did you can you can you tell me about that like why was it a reward for you whereas like Uh, you notice in a lot of students that it's like yeah yeah I am yeah I was no different I thought it was gonna be really fun and really cool and I'd be able to make cute shoes honestly (laughs) (laughs) I mean honestly that is that's the truth I thought it was gonna be really cute um but like the more like complex shoes you make and the more like robust materials you use, the more difficult it gets. And so like I could have stayed in the world of like fashion shoes and, and, um, and I didn't stay in that world. I, I kind of moved out of it, um, which is a little bit more complex. I think mm-hmm. like the stuff that you're, that you do. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if you're making something for individual clients, I mean, each person probably has such different tastes. So you have to oh, be yeah. like pretty versatile in terms yeah. of, what you can do uh, sure. to meet all those different like aesthetic and structural domains and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I just had a conversation earlier this week with somebody who was directed to me because I am the like example of what not to do, which is many <laughs> different things. <laughs> and like most people like specialize in one thing and they get really good at it. Mm-hmm. And I, for better and for worse, am not really like that. Um, I do a lot of different things and uh, in some ways that is not the smartest way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the way that I, that I do do it. Yeah. <laughs> that was directed to me because I was, they were told that was not what not to do. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I was like, well, I mean, you know, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, so oh, does that mean that like, in terms of shoemaking or like yeah. your whole life? <laughs> no, no. I, I think that I, I mean, I try to live a very good life, <laughs> but no, it, it was in terms of shoemaking. Um, yeah. I mean, I was directed, this person was directed to me by a cowboy boot maker who was just a really a, a stellar cowboy boot maker and a really kind and generous person named mm-hmm. Lee Miller. And he and I have talked a bit about this um, when I was trying to do both cowboy boots and shoes. He was like, don't. Don't do the both. Like you need to pick one and go for it. Mm-hmm. And so I end up moving towards shoes. Um, and then, you know, in the shoemaking community, people don't do all kinds of stuff. You know, most people are going to make a welted shoe or a high heel because there's mm. like the way that you fit those is very different. The construction is totally different. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to do things well if you're doing them for people you know yeah. and so it's uh it's like a fool's paradise to to do all this different stuff honestly because you're always kind of like yeah well it keeps you on your toes i should say mm-hmm. yeah yeah never get too comfortable there's nice guys 
and then there's knife guys. Picture a Venn diagram. Nice guys hold the door open for others. Knife guys might do that too, but with a knife on them. Saw that once in Reno. Guy in a trench coat packing a knife on his belt. The door openness had a different vibe. Now you pick where things go in the diagram, and that's a tough example. So let's consider other ones. Nice guys like to de-escalate arguments. I was talking to a teen today, trying to de-escalate his defensive mood. I pointed out he was being defensive. He got defensive about not being defensive. I was nice and pointed this out calmly and knifelessly before moving on. It's possible for a knife guy to tackle this problem the same way, except he'd have a knife on him, which inherently makes the situation different, especially if the knife is visible. Remember, this is hypothetical. Where's that one going, the Venn diagram? Let me see if I can actually think of one good example, something clear. Nice guys finish last. Knife guys carry knives. Well, darn. Those, while seemingly separate, well, you can have a nice guy who doesn't finish last, and you can have a knife guy who likes knives without always packing. Seems I'm not good at clarity, so without beleaguering the issue, I'll get to the point. Our next guest sits in the middle of our Venn diagram. Reed Swartz is a nice guy who makes knives. Not only does he not need to have one on him all the time, he works at a moderate scale, not needing a knife factory warehouse. Which, I mean, a huge warehouse of knives behind one man's house would look suspicious anyhow. Reed's just looking to make nice knives that can be used in nice ways. In a recent Instagram video, you can see his fingers working with a knife to make a knife handle, which is beautiful in a simple, complicated way. He plies his hands at other things too, like axes. And I, for one, am grateful for his busting of the nice guy, knife guy debate. Listen to us next time to hear his shavings of wisdom. This might be too technical, but I'm just really curious how you actually how you really accurately measure someone's foot. Like, oh, do you take like a little yeah. like baby like foot impression or something like no, that? No, I don't. You know, um, every single shoemaker is going to have a totally different answer to that. It's super interesting, actually. And um, I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's well, yeah. Every I mean, every single person I've ever talked to has their own way of doing it that works perfectly for them. And um, the way that I do it is. Uh, is with a pencil and a manila folder and a little yellow tape measure. And I take four different, well, I take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I take about 10 different volume measurements um, and then tracings of the outline of the foot and then a stamp pad impression of the pressure of the foot uh, bearing mm. full weight. 
Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you can like get an idea for like the yeah the, those like pressure points just through like how the mm-hmm. ink is like squished or something or yeah whatever and it is then to like the shape of their foot with full weight because your foot will be different if it's like up in the air or if it's if you're oh, just right. sitting down or if you have full weight on there there's a huge yeah. difference in the in the volume. Huh. Okay, I'm gonna ask you another question. That is a question <laughs> that I, it's like I feel like for some reason with shoemaking I'm falling into all the pitfalls for all of the like craft questions i hate getting asked <laughs> no like i mean you can't ask me and like just play it yeah it's fine so uh do you know how many shoes you've made <laughs> oh uh no i i have actually no idea but i'll tell you um i have all of the lasts that i've built shoes on they're hanging on my ceiling Whoa, and like wow. it looks like a lot but i don't know how many it is <laughs> So theoretically one could, so that's actually like an accurate record of how many you've made. Yeah. Some people write like their name and the number of the shoe inside, Mm -hmm. but I I don't do that. I always forget to sign it. Well, like 80% of the time I'll forget to sign it (laughs) entirely. So do each one of those last, each one of those is you, you like representative of a single pair of shoes, a single foot, a a single foot. So there's, you know, two per client that you've dealt with. Mm-hmm. And you have all of them? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Do, they, do you have returning customers then? Like, yeah. you come back? Yeah, and, I yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, I've thought about this a lot too, um, like in the past couple of years, because I feel like I've gotten a lot better as a maker, or I feel more confident um, whether mm-hmm. or not I've gotten better. I don't know. But um, <laughs> when I first started, uh, I did not have very many returning clients. And I know that I have made mistakes. And I've reached out to some of those people and been like, hey, you know, can I rebuild your shoes? Or like, you know, I, I know that you know, this is an issue. And the answer is always like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But now uh, probably like 80% of my clients are returning clients. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just tells me that, you know, things are a little bit better than they were. Mm-hmm. And I also like it just it just fills my heart with like, I don't know what it fills my heart with, but something that's not terribly good that I have, you know, a couple of years of, of clients that I wish that I could redo stuff. But, mm. you know, I, I feel like I, I have always priced fairly according to my, um, to where I was in my making journey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the prices were reflective of, and I, and I'm totally upfront, like, okay, you know, uh, I'm learning with every pair. And, uh, if there's a problem, I want to stand by my work and I want to fix it. Um, but I can't do that unless people let me know. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's only so much you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Especially if yeah. you're not like, I mean, I guess there's a case to be made there for like apprenticeship then, you know, like several years sure. of apprenticeship, but yeah, you know, which is probably good and bad, but like, yeah, totally is good, but it fact, doesn't really exist. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. So you have to kind of do your best. And that's, that's just the way it is. I think for a lot of craftspeople, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. And no, for me, it definitely is. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that the main thing is to be upfront with the folks that you're dealing with and to price Mm -hmm. yourself fairly, according Mm -hmm. to, you know, the scale of, of who is making in their experience and your experience and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, A slightly different topic, but I've been really wanting to hear more about this as we were kind of looking up things to ask you. 
Uh, one thing I saw that kept coming up again and again had to do with the um, the Rare Craft Award that you got uh, through the sure. American Craft Council. Huh. Mm-hmm. Could uh-huh. you tell us a little bit about that and sort of yeah. what it, you know what that did for you? I guess as a yeah, as a that's person? a good question. Um, and actually, nobody has ever asked me about it, which huh. is funny that it would come up. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, The Rare Craft Fellowship through the Craft Council was a nomination-based award. So I was nominated by someone at the Craft Council. Um, And then there was a jury of of folks who, like, you know, went through the nominees and then the finalists. And I was chosen as the recipient of the 2017 award. And I think that it may have been the last year um, that that award was given out. I'm not totally sure about that, but I believe that was the case. and so what the award was, was a trip to the Balvenie Distillery in Scotland, which was pretty oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a cash bonus. Um, and then uh, some time spent with, you know, a maker who is in your field um, hmm. in the UK somewhere. And so, um, so I spent a couple weeks um, in the UK, uh, about a week in Scotland, uh, learning a lot about scotch, which <laughs> is pretty fun. Which you can sort of much. remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good for head injury people, but you know, I made the best of it. <laughs> um, and then a week in, based in London, by going to a couple of different places um, in in the UK or in in England. I mean, England has a thriving shoemaking uh, scene. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I I spent time going to some of those places and visiting with folks down there, um, going to archives and such. And uh, it was really, really it's it's, I mean, it's always good to travel and to meet people who are more experienced than you and see the work that has been done by your predecessors Mm -hmm. of yesteryear. Um, (laughs) And so that was just a really extremely powerful and positive experience. And then I was able to take the the money that I had been awarded and invest in my workshop a little bit. So I got a really nice sewing machine, which is totally awesome. <laughs> and um and a couple of other things. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That's yeah, awesome. That's really good. So what about the work itself like really satisfies you? And then what are some of the challenges of it? Well, I think that there's two really good moments of shoemaking. One is when you come up with this like brilliant idea. And if I'm working with a client, usually that's a conversation that we have together. That's like, wow, this is a really good idea. Hmm. And that's super exciting. And then the other really good moment is like when the client sees the shoes and they fit and they like them and they leave. That is the best. (laughs) And um, everything in between is... Um, you know, is trying to get from that one place to that other place. <laughs> That's the challenges part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's pretty scary because what people envision in their minds is not always um, what you're envisioning in your mind. And sometimes right. what I'm trying to communicate with people in terms of ideas of design um, is, you know, some people have a, a, uh, so everybody sees things differently in their head, mm-hmm. um, and a, and a, and a fit means something totally different to every person. 
And mm-hmm. so um, it's pretty freaky before people come and pick up their shoes because I'm just like really hoping that this is indeed what they had anticipated totally. and that it does indeed fit them in the way that they like. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that seems like that would be a pretty stressful morning for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really stressful. And I, I thought I was the only one, you know, but I, I when I was with Yane, he he's been in the trade for 40 plus years. And he's he's a I don't know how many generations of shoe. He's, his dad was a shoemaker. His grandpa was a shoemaker. Mm. He's done all of the stuff. And he's he's a true, true master. And he said that the, the night before client pickup, he never sleeps. And I was like. Oh, okay. So I'm not the only one and it like definitely doesn't get better. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the, there's just not, there's no better feeling in the world than, than those shoes walking out the door because, um, you you spent all this time on these minute processes that, you know, you hope are going to add up to this thing. And when it's done, I probably have like 12 hours with the work completed. And, um, and then it's, and then it's gone and it looks so beautiful once they go on the foot, like the animation of the shoes on the body that they're made for is just, Mm. it's a completely different object. And Mm. it's, it's, it just, it is, there's no better feeling I've ever have experienced or could imagine. Yeah. Do most of the clients like wear them out the door? Or yeah, do they, yeah. is it ever oh. a bummer when they like put them back in the box and walk it? They're like, thanks, bye. Yeah, no. Well, like, you know, some do. Most people wear them out. And I always ask if people want shoe bags or boxes and most people don't, which um, I know that some shoemakers offer, you know, wooden boxes and bags and all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of people will, uh, yeah, wear them out. And it's funny, like, the, the process, like ideally is, it, it's very similar when it works well, is that the shoes go on kind of hard. They go on very differently than than a manufactured shoe, which is made for a lot of different sizes. So usually there's a, like a little bit of this moment of, of where the person's where the like, oh, like, uh-huh. is my foot going to go in here? Like, <laughs> 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 and, then, and then their foot goes in and it makes the sound like, <laughs> and I I never want to say that before the person uh, puts the shoe on, but if I hear the air exiting, that me- tells me that that's a snug fit, and that's uh-huh. like that's good. And so then they like draw internally, and they just are like feeling their body, mm-hmm. which is this, like really interesting thing. And they're you know usually sitting, and they stand up, and they like walk around, and suddenly they're like back in the space with you. And it's this really interesting thing that's really cool to watch. Um, uh-huh. And very satisfying when it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's not like you can try the shoes on as you're making them to see like how it's turning out or anything. No, no. I mean, I build a fit model, but, mm. you know, that gives you so much information. Mm. Yeah. I like that it's almost, yeah, that little exhale. It's like it's taking its first breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hopefully it's not going to be followed by crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's i I just i love shoes like i love taking care of my shoes it's like a huge thing for me so is there anything that people can do to like avoid with their shoes like maybe if they have like a nice pair of leather shoes and they really like them like yeah just keep them uh 
yeah, keep that leather happy. So, I mean, leather is skin. If it's getting mm-hmm. dried out or getting kind of like the surface looks really abrased, mm-hmm. um, put some conditioner on it and mm-hmm. uh, put a little bit of cream polish and it's going to go very far. Hmm. Um, yeah, it always kind of breaks my heart a little bit when you see people's folks, their shoes, and they're just like decimated. And it would just be like a five minute like spa treatment for the shoe. Right. And uh, it's going to be a lot happier. Yeah, I know. I have the same. Yeah, feeling. a little bit of cream and a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of polish goes a long way. I I I've spent a lot of time like keeping nice, like keeping my shoes nice. And there was a pair of shoes I had that I had from middle school that I got rid of eventually because they were just like they were they they stayed nice for too long. I was like, I can't. <laughs> everyone's gonna know that these are from like middle school <laughs> and like i'm still wearing them i can't keep wearing them so i think i gave them to goodwill or something <laughs> but that's good it's yeah, yeah, it kind of funny yeah yeah, yeah. i kind of stopped growing in like seventh grade kind oh, of man lucky pocosan yeah. <laughs> arts school of fine craft near the outer banks of north carolina is excited to announce that registration for the 2022 in-person workshops is open Join them in their newly renovated studios for classes led by world-class instructors in metalsmithing, woodworking, ceramics, and mixed media. Or you can join Pocosin Arts from home by signing up for an interactive online workshop in a variety of media. Scholarships and assistantships are available. To learn about these opportunities and more, visit pocosinarts.org. And that's P-O-C-O-S-I-N-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. The John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina, offers week-long and weekend classes in over 46 subject offerings, including basketry, woodworking, blacksmithing, weaving, music, dance, cooking, and more. Learn more and browse their 2022 January through June class catalog on their website, folkschool.org. What? What pieces of you are you most proud of? Was there one that like stands out in your mind of like, oh yeah, that one was like amazing. Like totally awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I always feel like I'm going to be most proud of like the next pair, honestly. <laughs> uh-huh. Like I get really excited about the designing process and, and like, oh yeah, you know, I got big plans here. Um, Yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't really say that there's anything that I am like most proud of. I work equally hard on all of the shoes. I take it pretty Mm -hmm. seriously Mm -hmm. and I try to put the same amount of like positive energy and effort into every pair, no matter if they're more or less complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's few that I can say, um, you know, this like is something that one was so much harder better on or yeah, yeah, so much better or anything like that. I feel like yeah. it's like a constant improvement. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, you know, like that next pair is, is going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long have you been doing this for? Well, I made my first pair in 2012. So cool. What is that? Almost 10 years. I guess almost, almost 10 years. years. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So then yeah. what keeps you coming back to it? you've been plugging away well, for a little bit. Next pair. You know, yeah, that next <laughs> the pair. Next pair. Yeah. <laughs> I've, actually, I've talked to a lot of other shoemakers about this. Like, why would you do this job? Because everyone's like, ooh, it's, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, 
And there's a certain, like shoemakers have a very particular personality type. Mm. And really? um, yeah, they're really, it's the, like, to, speaking of vast generalities about shoemakers, <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and it's funny because I, I kind of noticed this, but then I read a biography of John Lobb and he talks about the, the, the biography talks about like the, there's like a paragraph that talks about the characteristics of the shoemaker. Hmm. And um, I was like, oh my God, it's exactly the same today. And what they said was that um, shoemakers are unusually smart. They're quick, they're quiet, and they are frequently at the front of revolutions or political movements. And it's not because they are very uh, like particularly interested in social change. It's more that they don't like people telling them what to do. And they have a very strong feeling of what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> and um, I think that that's kind of true. Like shoemakers are, they're kind of, they're, they're a little goofy. I mean, we spend a lot of time alone, like working really hard on stuff that nobody ever sees, much less knows about. Mm-hmm. And like so, shoemakers are staring at their souls. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I don't remember exactly where I was going, but um, they're they are a particular bunch. Mm-hmm. And I I heard this, um, like I, I interviewed a while ago, I, I spent uh, some time talking and interviewing different shoemakers around the place. And I talked to this guy named Hollywood Riffraff. He's a cowboy maker in LA. Mm. And he said that it's the best thing I've ever heard. I think about it all the time. He said, like, let's get real the boat of shoemaking is going down. Like there's just, mm. it's it's going down, it's going down fast. And mm. instead of bailing out the water together, we are busy spending our time criticizing each other's buckets. Mm. And mm. I think that that's not untrue. Mm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's just, anyway. Yeah, just so much like kind of, I, I think that this, I mean, goes across a lot of trades in general, yeah. but there's yeah. all of that sort of like infighting and sort of lateral criticism when it's just like, yeah. we're all, we're all in this together. We're in this together. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if we can help each other, then we're all better for it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Wow. We just had like a major leather distributor close Ooh. and, um, and it, it like really kind of shook me <laughs> oh. because I was like, Oh my God, what you know what the hell and also what do we do like yeah (laughs) oh my god and so it it really drove home the point like we gotta we have to be kind and generous with information and materials and all that stuff because Mm -hmm. you know there's just there's there's ever fewer it seems and all yeah Yeah. all it takes is like one generation of it not getting passed along for everyone else to lose out in the future yeah yeah if nobody does it then nobody does it yeah. yeah. Jeez. Well, um, is there any kind of like, uh, like shoemaking guild or something? I mean, even yeah. well, bookbinders have like a million tiny organizations that yeah overlap a lot less than they probably should. But. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two. Um, one is called the HCC, and that's an older organization in the United States. Um, they meet annually on St. Crispin's Day. Who's the patron saint of shoemakers? Of course they do. Yes, it's 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 utterly delightful going to these meetings for me. Um, I just I can't say how much I I love the HCC and they have an online 
website that is just like t- that has just tons of information, tons and tons and tons. Cool. Um, and then there's like a Facebook group um, that has a lot of a really a lot of followers or like I don't know participants. I don't know how you would say that. Um, and it's run by Marcel, and he has a guild also um, that meets. I think it's biannually. Um, so yeah, there's, there's two, there's two kind of associations or groups, um, with a, with the goal of sharing information and helping each other out. Yeah. Nice. So what inspires you outside of shoemaking? Yeah. Yeah. What do you spend those long hours thinking about? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of books. And Mm so, um, you know, that <laughs> like I'm interested <laughs> like you know if you don't read what do you have like I'm really interested in the world and and yeah. I lost it for a while and so relearning um relearning things is really important and and mm-hmm. you know working alone it helps me feel connected with what's happening in the outside of these four walls mm-hmm. um so yeah I read a lot and uh and uh I play with my daughter which is pretty fun Oh, that's good. I don't know if that's yeah. inspiring. It's more distracting, but it's also pretty good. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> well, it's important. You know, and I was just, I was going to ask something maybe a little bit more, I guess, not technical, but kind of nitty gritty, I guess, about your yeah, sure. like setup. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you teach, you yeah. make shoes, mm-hmm. you have a family, you also read now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, kind of. How do you how do you balance that, or how do you how is it sort of know. set up? If there's a way of asking that, if it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's really um, it's 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 challenging. I'm not gonna lie. There's never enough time, and what doesn't get done is housework. Usually, um, I'm pretty strict about keeping work hours. Like, not pretty. I'm very strict about keeping work hours. I get here at eight thirty, and I leave at five, and I work during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm not at work, then I'm, I'm not at work. Um, and I, I can say like, uh, both Yane and Marcel have families and Marcel has small kids. And so seeing how he kind of, the way that he does it has been helpful for me and, and kind of, you know, just seeing, seeing how he does it, I guess. Um, but you know, I grew up like I grew up with my mom. She's a craftsman of of high of high note, and um, she was a single mom, and and she like that's just the life that we always had. So it doesn't seem like there is um, like being busy and being a maker and having a family doesn't doesn't feel foreign um, right, because right. I grew up with that model and I grew up within that system. Yeah, yeah. That seems sort of rare that you had uh, th- that type of, you know, positive role models. Or I-, I guess maybe you're one of the few people we've interviewed that sort of is coming from like a craft legacy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. If you ask like little Amara about that, she would be horrified. I was not into <laughs> it as a kid. <laughs> no, I had zero um, appreciation of the craft world. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not entirely true. We have interviewed some people who come from like, generations um you know like a more cultural con- had a more cultural context for that um, mm-hmm. but i feel like in you know mm-hmm. a lot I, th- I don't think many people at least in the united states have 
have that kind of example. So that's super cool. Yeah. We always have decisions about priorities and, um, you know, the priority for me is, is my work and, and having a little girl and a family. And so the decisions come from that mm-hmm. or, you know, that's like the decision tree as DW would say. And, um, and, you know, if the dishes don't get done, I might get annoyed, but you know, we actually just got a dishwasher. So that's really helpful. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I guess this, this brings us to, um, Amara, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Well, uh, of course, there's the internet. Um, I have a website that is usually a little out of date. And uh, and I'm on Instagram. So, you know, there's there's that pictorial <laughs> thing. I love that you answered it like that. <laughs> You're like, there's that <laughs> that's how i feel about it too yeah. well, you know i think it's important to share what i'm doing because it's mm-hmm. like I, I truly believe this is like a very beautiful and special thing that i love mm-hmm. to share and mm-hmm. it's something that is not totally shared and also too like i've learned so much from seeing other makers showing what they're doing mm-hmm. like infinite amounts um but at the same time they're you know the reality of running a workshop is not always reflected in what you see online. And so, um, you know, you can see finished work or you can see work in progress, but like, you know, it's a one version of things. Right. Yeah. It's just like one little teeny piece that you have like a little bit of time on your decision tree to like share. Well, you know, it (laughs) takes glue like nine minutes to dry. And so (laughs) that's that's usually what I'm doing. (laughs) You should just post like a video of just a shoe and it's just like it drying. Yeah. Nine minutes. (laughs) Nine minutes of just (laughs) just sitting there staring at the soul. Well, and it's also, I mean, I think it's hard too, because I think one of the greatest joys of doing craft for a living is or even just doing it as a hobby is just that when you have the opportunity to get lost in the process yeah and having to take the time to then try to capture that sort of snaps you out of it while you're doing it and so it's kind of this like it's a tricky tricky thing to kind of balance in order to to not take like one of those the most meaningful and powerful experiences like out of it by feeling like mm-hmm. you need to document it all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of it's I totally agree with that. Um I think that the other thing too though is that like we're social animals mm-hmm. and as a craftsman who works alone, like there are needs that I have that aren't met in terms of mm-hmm. like my social interactions with people. Right. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, participating in online things is a stand-in for social interaction. It's a balm for, you know, sure. for better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for better and for worse. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but also too, like, I just like to yap. I mean, I <laughs> like, you know, so doing things like this or, or talking to other folks, like while I'm working is, is super important. Um, but anyways, back to like where you can find my work, it's like online or if you come and visit me. So that's cool. That's cool. where it is. Yeah. Uh, I've already done one and I'm planning on doing the other. Yeah, You know, in a few weeks from when this episode is released, I'll be moving up to uh, St. Paul. So Yay. I'm really excited. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, we look forward to welcoming you. Oh, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Amy, you have to come visit. 
All uh, right. I right. <laughs> actually well, have family up there. And do you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So, uh, but briefly though, the websites are harkweberstudio.com, correct? Yeah. And yeah. then your handle on Instagram is? It's the same. It's harkweberstudio. Studio. Great. Yeah. Well, Amara, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show and um, yeah, and just for telling us your story. It's my pleasure entirely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this conversation and also to everyone who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. An extra special thanks also to everyone who supports us on Patreon. And I know I've mentioned this the last few episodes, but you know, Things are getting busier, a little crazier. I'm in the midst of a move uh, in between states. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, where was I going with this? <laughs> Things are... <laughs> Things are crazy. Well, What's going on? <laughs> Things are just crazy. crazy. Things are crazy. Look how hard I'm having just uh, <laughs> trying to gather my thoughts here. <laughs> so <laughs> Just read it off the script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Long story short, your support really means the world. Please help us. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, every contribution matters, uh, especially for Brian's ability to read. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it helps us grow the podcast and it helps us raise money for craft scholarships. So thank you to our sponsors, North House Folk School in Minnesota, John C. Campbell Folk School in Western North Carolina, Pocosin Arts School of Fine Craft in North Carolina, and North Bennett Street School in Boston, Massachusetts. A free way to support the show is to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and it really helps people find the show, and we appreciate the feedback. And if you'd like to see more images of guest work or stay up to date on other happenings like the class giveaways we've done with Pocosin Arts or John C. Campbell Folk School, please follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast. Also, if you would like to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio on the podcast page. You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show. Or even if you just want to say hi. <laughs> Has to be high-pitched. <laughs> hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design. To the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for help with production. And to Justin Williams for writing those poetic tidbits introducing our upcoming guests. To kick off 2022, we have an interview with toolmaker and green woodworker Reed Schwartz. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here's a clip from the interview. Thanks again. uh, And once again, we want to wish you a very happy holiday season. With lots of love? With lots of love. Yes. What lights me up is knowing where that piece of wood came from and knowing how it, you know, how it was processed, how it was handled, how it was treated. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, And so those kinds of decisions end up being pretty important for the maker. Like, what am I going to consume as my raw materials and how, how am I going to decide to process them or use them or work with them? Mm -hmm. So where are you mostly sourcing as 
many materials as you can as close to close to home as you can attempting to i mean and that's become kind of a guiding light for me it's just like uh it's almost a dare uh, and i've always had a little bit of a problem with that if somebody was like oh you can't no you can't do that I'd be like oh shoot now i have to try <laughs> why do you have to put it that way 